The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. 1 Corinthians 10, 23-33. Paul says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the market." in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof for if anyone for if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience but if someone says to you this has been offered in sacrifice then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? For if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. Verse 31, so therefore, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I was just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage, as we look at this passage, we can begin to wonder how do meat markets from 2,000 years ago and controversies in the church around that help us with our lives today. So, Father, I pray as we look at this, I pray you would give us your spirit to lean in understand. And Father, come out realizing that you have designed us to enjoy your creation and to use our enjoyment for your mission. So I pray you give us your spirit for that purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I do not know if you are a, uh, a rule follower um, or not. If When you think about rules, if you're kind of like allergic, like you get like a little bit of an allergic reaction, I tend to be more of a rule follower. Um, if I think the rules are good, I'm going to press those rules and run right along those railroad tracks all the way to kingdom come. I don't know why it is. It's just the way I was designed. I guess some people are much more like they like to color outside the lines. Like I get offended when my kid, my three-year-olds color outside the lines. They're not inherent rule followers. I am. I was born to draw inside the lines and keep it inside. Um, and sometimes uh, the way we think about rules is in, uh, informs how we think about Christianity. Some people, uh, when they think about Christians, they think, oh, there's all those rule people. They have that book. I, this is one of the main objections I hear about the Christian faith with my friends is uh, Christians are all about those rules. There's all those rules in the Bible. Actually, there's only about 1,200 rules in the Bible. That's still a lot. But there's, I mean, on the spectrum of all the things you could be doing in your life and have rules about your life, there's not a lot. But I still understand that because there is kind of like this sense of like Christians are like these people that have this haunting suspicion that somebody could be happy someplace. And so let's have a rule for that, right? Um, that could be the way people think about things. I understand that. Um, and here we are, a community of people that talk all about grace. And maybe if you're exploring Jesus, you're coming and you're like, okay, I'm going to hear all about this grace stuff. But eventually they're going to sneak in these rules. And they're going to confine me. You see, this is uh, this area of rules. The reason we kind of react to rules is because we, we don't really, um, there's a lot of gray areas in life, right? There's a lot of things that the Bible doesn't talk about, right? For example, the Bible has not told you how to dress for church this morning. <laughs> we all just kind of got up and got dressed. Uh, some of us with uh, clothes that are a little bit stained from the washer. No, <laughs> I just realized before I got here that Jay was like, oh, now everybody's going to be staring at my ink pen on my shirt. We don't, have, we don't have rules about how we do a lot of things in life. We, uh, there's a lot of gray areas. And um, in the Christian tradition, this is called kind of like open-handed and closed-handed issues, right? Closed-handed issues are things that the Bible is very clear on. Um, Jesus was the Son of God who died for your sins. That's a closed-handed issue. Um, did Jesus eat breakfast in the morning? Was he on a keto diet? Don't know. Open-handed issue. It's not, it's not clear on, like, do you have to believe this? So in the church in Corinth, 
um, they had all these things going on where they were like, all right, here's all this meat sacrificed to idols. And the Bible says you shouldn't worship idols. But man, that meat's got a sweet price. It's got $2 off sign on it. Like it's like a really good deal. Do you get the meat and support idolatry? Or you just get the meat because it's a good deal, right? Because God commends frugality, right? Being frugal. It's not clear. It's a gray area. There's a lot going on in that time where it was like, how do we think through these issues that are not clear? And frankly, Christians tend to swing towards making uh, more rules about things than the Bible is clear on, right? We, we tend towards like, we want some real clarity on these things because if there's not rules, uh, somebody could do something different than me and that makes me very uncomfortable. Like, that we just get nervous around things that don't have rules with them. Like, I don't know what your experience is. Some people come, uh, grow up in churches where you've got rules for, I mean, I constantly hear rules about things that are like outlandish to me. Like, I remember um, I was once training a worship team and one of the women was like, uh, she was really far away from the mic. I was like, you, you've got to eat that mic for us to be able to pick you up on the soundboard so that people can hear you sing. It's like, oh, I was always told like if I breathe into the mic, that was too sensual. And it would be tempting people. I'm like, give me a break. <laughs> Eat that microphone, girl, because we got to get you on the soundboard. We, you know, like that's just the way it works. But just like we create all these rules because like we just want to create some definition with things that are not clear, right? So what we're going to be doing this morning, we're going to be we're going to be diving right into the gray areas because God has something for us, and He saved us for freedom. He saved us to enjoy. But he saved us to give us freedom and enjoyment in things um, for a purpose, right? And it's not so that you can satisfy all my little quirks and preferences of rules that I want to develop. It's actually so that you can serve God's mission. So here's here's what I'm going to say. The main point of this passage is this. Freely enjoy God's creation to advance his mission. Freely enjoy. The invitation of God is freely enjoys creation. So you're not, you're not saved so that you can kind of like get all these little uh, locks on you to lock you down with all these little rules. Freely enjoy God's creation uh, to enjoy his creation so that you can advance his mission, right? Because we want to be people, when we engage gray areas, we want to become thinking Christians. Maybe people who think about things, right? Because the thing about rules is that we can kind of like, they can solve the issue for us before we have to think about them. But for example, we're going to be talking about weed this morning, alcohol this morning. We're going to talk about all these things that don't have clarity in the Bible, right? What does the Bible have to say about that stuff? Well, not clear. And so we're going to swing towards how do we become people who think with enjoying God's creation in mind? How do we become people who think to enjoy enjoying God's mission? So... How do we enjoy and advance God's mission? So we need to understand the purpose of our freedoms, all right? All right, so we're going we're to dive into this passage. You guys cool with that? We want to posture, verse 23 through 24. We want to posture our freedoms, posture your freedoms to help others. All right, so we're going to pick up verse 23 to 24. We want to posture our freedoms in Jesus to serve others. All things are lawful. So this is Paul quoting from something that would have been said. All things are lawful. But not all things are helpful, Paul would say. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So, this is is Paul basically kind of restating this famous line, love your neighbor as yourself from Jesus, right? When Jesus says, what's the whole sum of the Old Testament? He's saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And that confronts this whole kind of like, there's a bit of like a youthful kind of like a punk arrogance to going on in verse 23. Like, you know, like have you ever been a teenager? You're kind of like, I can do whatever I want. You know, like that sort of like, you can't tell me what to do. That's kind of what's going on with these quotes here in verse 23. All things are lawful. It's like the Corinthian church to, the, to Big Daddy Paul. And he's kind of like, you can't tell me what to do. And Paul's like, well, I can't because I can't, you know, you're a teenager now and I can't really entirely tell you everything to do, but let me give some wisdom here. Not all things are helpful, right? You can do what you want, but is it going to be helpful? Is it others-oriented? Is it oriented at serving other people, right? This is, again, what is your neighbor, how, is, how do they benefit from what you're doing and saying, right? Uh, so, for example, like, I could say the right thing in a discussion with my wife, but is it said in a way that's helpful, 
anybody who's had a conversation where there's some misunderstanding, uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, that's true, but the way you said it, you're a bit of a jerk, right? It, I can say that, but is it helpful? Or the end of the then of verse 23, does it build up, right? We can use our freedoms in Jesus, right? Because now um, we are no longer held to the ceremonial law, the Old Testament, and all these other things. But is the way I'm going to live my life in Jesus going to help build other people up and serve them? Right? This is to say, uh, not merely do you know your neighbor's names, but do you know how what you are going to do and how you live lands on them? Do they, do they get the way you live, and do they understand it as loving? Right? It's one thing to know my neighbor's names and to know not only my children's names but my neighbor's names, but it's another thing to know and understand them in a way where the way I act and behave is going to serve them and help them to be built up. That, that is um, others-focused, right? helping others with our freedom in Jesus. And I, I think this is maybe something that we just need to be aware of, just hold us as a category for us. Um, we are a state that is built around the entire idea of live free or die, right? We are the most punk state in the, in the union. We will never let those uh, um, rule, those British rulers come down on us ever again. But it can get into our DNA. And do we think about our preferences over what's going to serve other people, right? on a regular basis. And if you're feeling nervous about that question, it's because we tend to not think about how we can serve other people with our lives. We tend to think, I want this, and I want it my way, and I want it now. Or, this is my position, these are my rights, and you need to treat me this way. Um, these are the, these rules, I don't like them, I don't agree with them, and they're silly. Right, so there, are may, there may be, in fact, policies that we have as a church, and specifically like our children's ministry policies, they tend to be a little bit um, strong because we're trying to provide a context to protect our kids. But they can come across as like, really? Like this is a it's church. Like why do I have to do these? Like why do I have to do this background check? And how do, why do I have to you know, have these policies for how I keep my, our kids safe and they seem a little bit excessive? It's like, well, because actually you're, trying, you need to, you're called to give up some of your freedoms. You don't have to do those things, but you're called to give up those freedoms to help others. Imagine the context that we're building that is safe for people who have been abused and to protect people from being victims. Right? When we come up against these, where, these areas where it's kind of like, this is so frustrating. Like, why do I have to do this? Here's a question in general to ask. Is this intended to submit my freedoms to help someone else? Do you eagerly submit your freedom? I don't have to do this, whatever it is, but are you going to submit your freedoms to help somebody else? That's, I, I think, where Paul's going to start us out with all these gray area things. Gray, you can't tell me what to do. You don't have to tell me, you can't tell me what to do with my life, so therefore I can do what I want. Well, you are free in Jesus, but are you going to submit that freedom to help other people? All right, so that's where he starts out, verse 23 to 24. We could definitely say a lot more there. But I want to spend the bulk of our time here in the middle of this passage because there's, uh, there's some stuff that we want to talk through, okay? You guys cool with that? We're, we're, we're tracking? Submitting our freedoms to, to help others. Verse 25 to, 20, 25 to 30, we're going to now dig into this category of practicing your freedom with wisdom, right? This is the, the main category of how do you confront the gray areas of life, the things that are not clear in the Bible, right? The Bible says, you know, you shouldn't murder, so uh, that's wrong. But then um, there's a lot of other things about how you deal with other people that aren't murder. So now we're going to be talking about practicing your freedom with wisdom, 25 to 30. Verse 25, let me read this for us. Eat whatever is sold in the market without raising any question on the ground of conscience, right? So he is saying, look, go to the marketplace and just buy food. Now, if you're not tracking with what's going on here, underneath this passage is in the Corinthian marketplace... They would have had meat that had been sacrificed to the, to the pagan gods. And so because they had been sacrificed and worshipped to the pagan gods, they were basically kind of like um, uh, a tax write-off. You go and buy them. You get special discount on them. They, they go to support the charitable cause of the local pagan gods. Right? They get the benefit of your money. You get the benefit of cheaper meat. So you got those meat next to the regular priced meat. You're just trying to put this in market basket terms, right? So you like, you know, you've got your organic food, 
and you've got your non-organic food right next to each other, except the organic food uh, was sacrificed to Zeus. Um, so that's what's going on, right? So verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the marketplace without raising any question on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. That's citing verse 1 of Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to God. So buy whatever you want because it belongs to God. Then verse 27, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Would you please note with me, it is an expectation that you know non-Christians and that they want you to come and sit at their table. That is an underlying assumption here, that non-Christians know you, they like you, <laughs> and they want you to be at their table. So if you're going to be doing it, if you're going to be living in that way, that's just a missional undertone of this passage, then you're going to run into situations where they might have said, I like Zeus, I bought meat sacrificed to the pagan gods, and now I'm going to serve it to my friend, without even kind of like connecting, like, oh, Jacob's a Christian, that might be a problem for him. There's, I want him to sit down at my table and enjoy what I've, I've made. So if that's the scenario, he's saying, uh, chillax, don't worry about it, just come and eat, eat dinner with your friends, right? However, again, so now he's kind of playing the case study out, verse 28, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. So what he's saying there is saying, uh, if they said, you know what, I sacrificed this to Zeus because Zeus is my bro, um, I like him. And I'm serving this now to you because I'd like for you to participate with me in loving Zeus, right? And you're like, well, our church mission statement is loving Jesus together and not loving Zeus together. So I can't do this. He's basically saying, like, it's binding your conscience. It's like, okay, just pass, you know, pass on the meat. It's going to be okay. Eat the popcorn instead. I do not mean your conscience, but his, verse 29 for why should my liberty be determined by somebody else's conscience, right? So it's not saying, like, whatever other people think is wrong must rule your, your conscience and what you think is wrong, but you know that your actions are going to be informing how they think about things, right? They're going to be kind of fitting in. They're going to be kind of saying, oh, right, if Jacob partakes of this meat sacrificed to Zeus, and I just told him that, hey, Zeus, Zeus is my bro, and I go to the temple, and we're loving Zeus together, Jacob's now becoming a part of my member, the member of my pagan church. He's saying, like, well, that doesn't rule me, but it does influence how I make decisions, right? So, again, gray area, wisdom. And then verse 30, but if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced uh, of that for which I give thanks, right? He ends by saying, apart from this being offered and sacrificed to Zeus and me knowing about it and participating in it, my friend invites me over to have a meal with him. He says, hey, this has been, uh, this is a great time. We just want to enjoy this with you. Great. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Let's just eat and have fun. I want to have fun, good time with my friend. So this is all this category of gray areas, or um, historically this has been called kind of like the matters of indifference, or the Greek word, if you're a real Bible nerd, adiphoria, adiaphora. Just indifferent matters. Like, well, what do you do? I don't know. Bible doesn't have a clear answer on it. Bible doesn't say anything what you're supposed to do on this. And it is, uh, these are the non-essentials, and there is a wide range of how we can think about these things, right? So we just kind of drilled down on this one specific thing, and I'm sure all of you are going to say, thanks, Jacob. This really helps me the next time I'm in the, the, I get invited over my friends who worship Zeus, and now we're going to, you know, what I do with those meats. Well, it's a case study for how to think about things in general, right? It's an example of wisdom needed in our life because everything, there's a lot of things that we just don't have answers on. So one that we're going to park on right now is weed, right? How do you think about uh, weed or marijuana, whatever you want to call it? Um, we're going to park here because this is a discussion that is happening in our culture. It's happening um, in our state, and we have to think about how we're going to think through that category because there is no, thou shalt not smoke the reefer is not in the Bible, right? That's just not there. Like, that's not, that's not in the Bible. Um, so then what do we do? How do we engage with that question? Because you might say, oh, it does because of this, 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 this verse, verse. And I'm like, no, the Bible does not have anything specifically to say about that category, uh, that specific issue. It does have something to help us with the wisdom of how to think through that issue, that category together. So 
All right, so you guys ready? We're going to kind of, we're going to dive in on this category. I just want you to know, if you disagree with me, save it till the end, and then you can throw food at me. Like, if you want to throw something at me, that's fine, just save it to the end. But we're going to try to think through this together because I think their case study of meat and our case study of weed will help us kind of think through how do we become thinking Christians who think through gray areas of life to enjoy God's creation to advance his mission. All right, you guys cool with that? All right, first thing, Romans 13 says that you need to submit to the law of God, right? That's where it starts out. It says you need to submit to the law of the land. Whatever the law says, you got to submit to the law. So first out of the gate, that's like the first thing we got to deal with. All right, so what does the law have to say about marijuana? Well, the federal law says that it's illegal. Ten states in the Union of, of America say that it's not illegal. New Hampshire, uh, it just got all the way through the Senate, and it got vetoed by the governor. So that's about, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, wager a guess that within the next five years, it will be legal within the state of New Hampshire, right? It's already been deregulated, so now it's a misdemeanor if you get caught carrying whatever the percentage of ounces are. I don't care about those details. More of just, it's, it's, so then the question is, federal government says no, state government says yes, what do you do? Again, this, your politics comes out at this point, because I, some Christians would say, well, the federal government still says it's wrong and you shouldn't do that. To me, that's a political perspective. It's not clear that that's exactly how you have to behave at a state level. But you've got to wrestle with that. What's the state got to say on that? I would say this. On the nature of the law that has made marijuana illegal, there is a background that makes me question the moral, the moral authority of that law. So if you ever read, there's a book um, by John Hari called Chasing the Scream. Um, it's about the war on drugs. So John Hari and the chase... By the way, if you ever heard that phrase, um, the opposite of addiction is... Do you know what it is? Connection. connection. The opposite of addiction is connection. That comes from John Hari's book, Chasing the Scream, and he talks about the war on drugs. And he goes back and he shows about how the original... The dynamics that were going on back in the 1920s and 30s surrounding the making of, of drugs illegal are morally dubious. So, just to kind of step back, let's go back 100 years. Uh, I'm sure everybody celebrates this, but um, we come to Cinco de Mayo, right? Cinco de Mayo, all those things, Mexican Revolution, Mexican Civil War. Um, Mexican Civil War was going on in the 1920s, and because of that, you had a huge influx, like millions of people from Mexico coming in, uh, refugees into America, right? That may sound very familiar to 100 years later, right? There's a lot of things going on. They are influxing into America. Just remember, in 1910, 1920, we are less than 50 years after the American Civil War, and so now African Americans are, sle- are, are no longer slaves, they're free, and the, the white and black communities are beginning to slowly integrate. Within that, you have the jazz community that is beginning to take on, so the, the Roaring Twenties, you have the jazz community going on. They are becoming the prime culture setters in terms of those dynamics. You have, you have uh, black culture um, mixed in with the jazz culture. And then you have, within all of that mix, um, whites and blacks starting to hang out more. And the concern that some people would have had, and I, I have to just be careful here because some of the statements that were made are so overtly racist that I can't actually, I, just, I feel uncomfortable even uttering the words. But basically, the, the dynamics in play were basically saying... Um, these uh, Mexican folks are bringing marijuana with them. They've had a 5,000-year-long history of how they use that. Now they're bringing that, and they're integrating it into our culture. Um, we don't like that. Um, all these blacks are using marijuana, and they're coming in and smoking the marijuana, and they're getting raging angry and um, sexually promiscuous. And then when white girls... They smoke weed, they get sexually promiscuous, and we don't want any of that happen. So there is just a lot going on. If you're like, whoa, that was all going on? Yes, that was all going on. And so then you have um, Harry um, Anslinger, um, Harry Anslinger, who was the, fe- the, the, the director of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. Who, his, I mean, in his day, he was known as like an incredibly racist guy. So if you're known as an incredibly racist guy in the 1920s, you're like top of the cake, ultra racist, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> and so he brought in legislation that in 1937 
was the uh, Marijuana Tax Act, which basically was the beginning of making marijuana illegal. So what I'm, I'm doing with laying that out is to say there was no laws about this until 1937 in America, and those laws have an incredibly racist and prejudicial background to them, which to me undermines their moral authority that they would have at a federal and state level. You can, disagree, you can still say, I think that marijuana should be illegal. That's fine. I'm just saying in terms of our current situation that the moral authority that they have within the American context, not obvious to me. That doesn't mean it's a slam dunk in favor, like, oh, let's all go get some joints and smoke after this service. I'm just saying there's just a, a dynamic that you have to be aware of, right? We want to be thinking through this issue together. So first stoplight, the government, what does the government have to say about it? You need to submit to the law of the land. The law of the land, at least in terms of New Hampshire, currently says it's illegal. The federal government says it's illegal. So in terms of the state of New Hampshire and state borders, I can't speak to what happens on the other, in Massachusetts especially. There's some questions. But apart from that, what does the Bible have to say about the substance itself, right? So we just talked about kind of the culture, American culture, that stuff. Let's talk about the substance of marijuana itself. So we're going to do the second stop. What does the Bible have to say? Foundational text on this whole issue. Again, the Bible does not have a verse that would say, quote, weed or, quote, marijuana. So we're already kind of in gray territory. What does the Bible have to say about this? But let me read for you a few passages that I think give us a, a, an analogy, right? Something that's similar. So I think the thing that's similar in the Bible is the category of alcohol. What do you think about beer, wine, whiskey, bourbon, spirits in general? What, I think the corollary would be alcohol. To weed. So let me read some, some verses on alcohol in the Bible. Proverbs 23, 19 through 21. Hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttons, eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber with clothes um, and slumber will clothe them with rags. This is one of many verses in the Bible which says drunkenness is wrong. Right? Ironically, and this is one that's not often talked about, so is gluttony. But alcohol, in the sense of getting drunk, is wrong. That is what is in view here, right? Saying getting drunk is wrong. However, you have Psalm 104, verses 14 to 15. You cause the grass, this is a prayer to God, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Effectively, this is kind of talking about like the general gladness and happiness of life. Alcohol is included as a part of that. Saying, hey, it's a part of making life happy. So you're seeing there is now a, a you got kind of like the poles of the field. Drunkenness is wrong. It's created, alcohol is a created thing. It gladdens the heart. So now we've got some latitude here that we're trying to think through. What do we do with that? Ephesians 5.18, again, so you get in the New Testament. Do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Again, clear, hard line. Drunkenness is wrong. Getting drunk, getting drunk on a regular basis, becoming an alcoholic. It's not the way God's designed you to be. And we exist in this place because our friends know that. We're committed to that, helping people come out of that. However, you have 1 Timothy 5.23, no longer get get uh, drink only water, but this is pastoral advice, right? So just remember, this, I've had this said to me, well, other Christians can drink alcohol, but pastors shouldn't. It's like, where do you get that in the Bible? Because here you have 1 Timothy 5, 23, no longer drink wine to a pastor that drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So basically saying like, okay, there's an appropriate use of alcohol here, part of helping you be healthy. And then 1 Timothy 4, here's a key text that I want you to lean into with me. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Now the Spirit expressly, expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Who, what do these liars do? They forbid marriage and require abstinence from food foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, 
and nothing is to be rejected that is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Right? I, I've, I've italicized a few words here. Right? What he is going after is there are some that would teach, they would forbid, this is crazy to us, forbid marriage. Like that's, back in those days, um, uh, sexual contact would have been viewed by some pagans as being a defiling act. And so they would have said, you know what? Rather than be defiled, just don't get married. So the uh, Bible has something to say about that. We looked at that a few months ago. Forbid marriage, but require abstinence. And what do they do? Require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Right? These teachers would have said, you cannot categorically eat or drink whatever. And he's, he's identifying those same people with people that are uh, liars and teaching t- the, the teachings of demons. Right? He's basically saying, like, you can't believe that. As a Christian, God's created everything, and so to require selective things to not be eaten is not in accord with the Bible or drunk. For everything created by God is good, right? So here he's making this category. God made everything. And just so you know, God doesn't make junk. He doesn't make things that are full of poison, right? There are things that are poisonous and there are things that are dangerous. They either come from using them inappropriately inappropriately, or because of the fall. Um, So for example, childbirth is not supposed to be so painful. Because of the fall, it is those types of things, but it is still good. Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected that is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Right? You see, here is this playing field of gray areas that Paul is describing for us. He's giving us the borders, right? Don't get drunk with wine, but receive everything with thanksgiving. The gray area. I would say the corollary is weed to alcohol in the Bible. The Bible does not say that you cannot drink alcohol. Um, the Bible does not say that you should not um, enjoy it with gladness and thanksgiving. However, it would say that if alcohol is an idolatry for you, where you seek identity, comfort, escape, that it is something that you should not do. So we're, I, I, my friends here who are not Christians, I've had this discussion with them. Does it bother you that as a pastor of a church that meets in a recovery center that I will have a beer from time to time? They've said, absolutely not. I'm a little jealous that you can do that without getting drunk. So there's a wisdom category. So I think the corollary to, 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 of weed in the Bible is alcohol because it's the most similar in terms of like the extent and kind of the dynamics involved. So for example, you, take, you, you, you smoke weed or you eat it, however you ingest it, and the purpose is to like get high or to enjoy. That's where I begin to kind of wonder how much of a correlation is there, right? Intoxication is kind of the, the benchmark of like what alcohol is going after, right? Don't get drunk. And so the question is, um, can you enjoy weed and not get intoxicated at the same time, right? Because if weed is supposed to have an effect upon you to where you get glad, what's the point where you go from going from being really happy to being really high? I'm not sure. <laughs> Actually, as I was kind of looking into this, there's not a medical, a clear medical answer, right? So, for example, if I have a beer with 5% alcohol, um, it will have virtually no effect on me. One of our slenderer ladies in the room, if they had a beer with 5% alcohol, it would have a bigger effect on them. Same thing is true with weed. You have a certain amount of weed, given your body dynamics, your tolerance levels, all that stuff, how high do you get? It's not clear. I mean, the purpose is to get high, but where is like a little to a lot. I don't know. That's right. If I just say, I don't know, I don't have the medical answer, then unless, until medicine gives us a definitive answer, we have to just accept that it's a gray area. However, we have to accept that it is attached to a category that says intoxication or getting high is morally wrong. It's not what you're supposed to do. It's not what God's designed you to be. So, that is the first stop, foundational text. And then the pro- third stop that we would make, we've kind of already gotten there, is prohibition against intoxication. So we kind of talked about these things. I kind of got on a roll. So it's not clear to me, but there would seem to be, for me, serious questions. Now, fourth stop, how will this be interpreted? So we've gone, the Bible seems to say there's these kind of borders, prohibitions, commendations, gray area to think through. I think an important one from this passage is how will this be interpreted, right? So remember here, 
just to kind of draw us back to the text. But if someone says to you, verse 28, this has been offered in sacrifice, do not, um, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informs you for the sake of his conscience. There is a way in which people will interpret the things that you will do and participate in that will actually harm their conscience. And the, the end of the chapter is going to be so that they may be saved, right? There's a way in which I want to behave so that other people are, are drawn to Christ, drawn to know him and love him. So how would, if you were to take up a weed, how would that be interpreted by your neighbors around you? I, I can't speak to that, right? I don't know what you're, I mean, I can say in general, I, it's funny, we have all these kind of like assumptions and cultural kind of hangups about this stuff. Um, so for example, somebody once was telling me, oh, we're going to go play disc golf. And I was like, disc golf? Like all my friends in high school that played disc golf only played disc golf so they could go out in the woods and get high. <laughs> that was, so in my mind, my, in high school, my association was, let's go, let's go play disc golf was code for let's go get high. You may not have that association. Like some of you are laughing like, why would you ever think that? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, like, I'm just telling you, that's my association. Um, I don't know how my neighbors who know that I'm a pastor would interpret it if I was on the porch smoking a joint. I'm fairly certain that they would have some serious questions. I thought Jacob said he was a pastor. Our pa- like our pastors are like allowed to smoke weed. It's like, well, yeah, there's incense in the temple, bro. Not quite the same. Um, I don't think, by the way, that the argument that weed is a gateway drug is a valid argument because um, it's been made illegal for dubious reasons. And so those who would pursue to get previously, it's like, well, weed's a gateway drug to all these other hard substances. It's like, well, uh, you're, you're around people that are buying, illegal, buying into the margins of society anyways, so you're already going to be kind of hanging. It's more the people that are going towards the margins of society to break the law rather than the substance itself. Like, there's nothing like, hmm, I just smoked weed. Now I really want to do heroin. Like, there's nothing that, like, there's not like an immediate connection. Like, that's... Um, so all that to say, the question is, how would it be interpreted by the people that you're trying to reach and serve? Would they think wow, I'm really drawn to, to love and follow Jesus with this person, or are they going to have some serious questions? Right? If you're, you're, if you're kind of sitting there frustrated, kind of like, Jacob, just give us a clear answer. I'm going to tell you, I'm not doing that. <laughs> That's not my job. Actually, I would just say, full cards on the table, probably not a good idea, <laughs> but I, you can have a different opinion. And I would want you to have an informed opinion, not just something like, well, I like it. That's not a good reason. That, that's a really bad reason because, well, I like it is a way to justify just about anything that you want to do. We want to be thinking Christians who want to enjoy God's creation that he's given to us, right? Did you notice how in each of these passages, the key passages we were talking about, receiving with gladness to be thankful to God, right? So that, that would be another question. Does this lead you, does enjoying whatever it is that you're looking at, whether it's weed or anything else, does it lead you to say, God, I'm really just grateful for who you are and what you've given us in this world, right? There's a hallucinogenic effect of weed that will make me question whether you could do that or not. And I would just put in a little medical caution. I do know people that have like lost their minds. Not a lot, one. So I know one person (laughs) in the spectrum. You know, you probably, I, I, yeah, we won't get in rabbit trails. <laughs> so somebody just throw up a yellow flag. Jacob, get back on track. Okay, so I cannot say what you must do, but here's let me. Here's what I want to equip you to help think through this. So I come up with four questions from this passage that I think we could use as kind of like a grid to think through this category. So can we throw that up? Gray area wisdom questions or gawk. I was trying to think of like a clever way to remember it, and I just didn't have the time. <laughs> Your gawk questions. So, (laughs) gray area wisdom questions. Number one, does scripture speak clearly about X or something like it? Because there's a lot of gray areas. We've just drilled down on weed. There's a lot of things you could say this about. So, does scripture speak clearly about X or something like it? So, verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. All things are lawful, but not not all things um, are helpful. Right? Does, does scripture clearly speak to this, right? If it says all things, he's quoting from the Bible, that 
you have to ask the question, does the Bible have to say something specifically about the thing that I'm... So, for example, let's just pick one of the top ten. Bible does not say anything... The Bible speaks very clearly, you shall not steal. Right? Don't steal stuff. Don't walk into the supermarket, grab uh, whatever it is on the, sh- on the aisle, walk out without paying. Bible says that's clearly wrong. But what about um, sharing digital files across the internet? Is that stealing? Is it not? Well, I still have my original file. They've now gotten a copy of it. They have a new file. Is that stealing or not? Well, on the gray area, maybe for you, that's more of on the dark gray, like very obvious. <laughs> for some people, that might be less obvious. All right, second question. In the way that I must use whatever it is, fill in the blank, is the way I want to use this good and fitting to God's design. So, 25 to 26, remember, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Is this design, is the way I want to use this designed by God to be something that's going to be um, in accord or with the way God designed me to use it? So, for example, that's why um, hard, hard, uh, hard drugs, heroin, cocaine, all those things, that's not the way God designed them to be used, right? <laughs> that's not God's design for them. That's why it's harmful at minimum, right? Um, so, whatever. so, let me go through these questions. And I, um, we are, wow. We're going a little bit longer. I'm sorry, guys. Are you guys enjoying this or are we going to wrap this up? You guys, okay. Okay. Uh, somebody think, let me, let me just, we're going to do a group, group activity here. Somebody think of a category that is a gray, something, a gray area, and throw it out for me after we go through these questions, okay? All right? Going to make it, everybody feeling a little nervous. What's the category going to be? All right, third question. What will this, fill in the blank, help me enjoy God's gifts to me with thankfulness, and maybe just add the words, to God? <laughs> Not thankfulness to your political guy or dealer, whatever it is, thankfulness to God. Will this help me enjoy God's gifts to me with thankfulness? Can you do that with whatever you're talking about in mind? Verse 20, uh, we're, we're tagging this down, verse 30. If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks, right? The purpose of enjoying, sitting down and enjoying God's creation, his goodness to you, whatever form you get it, are you going to come out the other side of that thankful to God or so messed up that you can't even begin to think about thankfulness to God himself? You understand the directions to say, God, thank you for, for who you are and what you've given us. All right, fourth question. Will this confuse or serve my gospel witness. This is again the end of the passage. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I um, try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Right? The purpose, so that we can serve other people, show them who Jesus is, and we don't want to confuse that message. Right? Okay. Um, I've got ideas of what I could do for my case study. Does anybody have a case study? Just wanna, you're like edg, edging to ask. Yes. Media consumption. Media consumption. So does media consumption, how much, what of it, what kind, right? So let's say, um, are you thinking of anything in particular? That's a very broad topic. Movies, Twitter, Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. Uh, okay, so does Scripture speak clearly about Twitter <laughs> or something like it? Well, actually, the Bible has a lot to say about how you use your words, right? Actually, the book of Proverbs has more to say about how you use your words and how you use your sex. And so are the ways in which you're going to use your word um, going to be... Uh, wise, charitable, helpful, upbuilding, right? That's what the Bible has to say about how you use your words, right? So that, the Bible does have something clear to say about that. But the platform itself um, is the way I want to use this good and fitting to God's design, right? So the platform itself, for example, this is uh, speaking of social media. I, again, 
I'm going to step on some toes with this statement. That's why I've never gotten into Snapchat. Like, I know some of you are like, oh, like Snapchat's like my jam. I've just never gotten into it because, like, to me, like, the, the way it was designed, I was just kind of like, that's the way to send naked pictures to people and get away with it. Like, <laughs> like I was just like, I'm not going to do that. But that's the nature of the platform. So, to me, it wasn't designed the way that I want to use it. That felt like it was good for God's designs. I can, I can totally understand if you disagree and you're like, kind of, well, it's how my family and I, we have all these conversations. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm just saying, I didn't want to do that. I felt like uh, temptation might be too strong. Don't want to do that. So is the way I want to use X good and fitting to God's design? So am I going to use media? Am I going to use Twitter in a way that is going to fit with the way God has designed me to communicate with other people? And is it, is it designed in a way to strengthen and build up other people? What would you say? group activity. Matt's going to say no, because Matt's a mean person. <laughs> uh, Adam, what would you say? Would, do you think media or Twitter, for example, would fit in a question to, is the way I want to use it fitting good and fitting to God's designs? So your motivation, what's your motivation? So like, I could go on there, I'll tell you what, I have to hold myself all the time back on Twitter from sounding off on all the things that I just do not like about the world. But it's a gray area. Well, it helped me enjoy God's gifts to me with thankfulness. I will just tell you in a general, as a general rule, I come away more disgruntled and bitter from using media and social media in particular. So actually, maybe I should stop using it because it doesn't make my heart happy in Jesus and thankful. Right? I think that thankfulness is a key part of this. And then will it confuse or serve my gospel witness? Well, you can put quotes about Jesus all up out there, and my neighbors can read about what I want to say about this or that. I will say that I have found out some very interesting opinions of my neighbors about other neighbors by looking at Twitter. <laughs> so, okay. We're going to move on. I will say this. If you have an opinion about something that is a gray area, for example, you may think that I am dead wrong about the, the whole thing that we've had this conversation about weed. You may think, Jacob, you have not even cracked your Bible. I'm like, okay, let's have a conversation. I would say on the gray area of things, we need to be charitable and understand that we cannot rule our friends, neighbors, and family in Jesus with our convictions. We are not given a conscience to badger other people who disagree with us. You will disagree with me on things. We will have disagreements about gray area things. What we should be doing, going back to the Bible, what is clearly stated, what is clearly helpful, what clearly gives us thanksgiving to God, and what clearly serves his mission, that's where we want to go, okay? Not to, well, I read this book and I can appeal to whoever. You can find anybody on the internet to agree with you. I don't care. I want to know what the Bible has to say, all right? So... Can we wrap up? I'm edging on 50 minutes here, guys. This is a long sermon. I'm sorry. You guys cool? We're hanging in there? Okay, we're going to wrap this up, and then we're going to sing to Jesus because that's what we need. Okay, you, you are given these freedoms to enjoy God's creation. So now the third thing that we want to say, verse 31 to 33, place your freedom inside God's mission. Place your freedom inside God's mission. So whatever you, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. The purpose and mission of God, the reason this book is so big, is because God has a mission to seek and save sinners who are messed up, idolatrous people who oppose God, do not like him, don't want anything to do with him, and he says, I want you in my family. And he has saved you in Jesus so that you can join his mission to do the same thing for other people. And Paul is saying, I've been liberated from all the junk and messed up parts of my life to enjoy God's creation and now I could just go off and get whatever I want. Cruise line for Jesus, right? And he is saying, no, you are where you're at. You have these things freed from you so that you can now take your freedoms and do what? Look at verse, verse chapter 1, verse 11. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ so that you can imitate Christ and how he comes under all the messed up parts of our lives to serve us, right? What did Jesus do? He didn't come and start getting drunk with everybody and saying, woo, let's go to... 
to know it. I'm going to give up all my rights and freedoms so that you who are idolatry, making idols of creation, making idols of the very things I intended to be things that are gifts to you, so you could find your identity in all these other ways, all these other peoples, all these other things, so you could pervert my creation, I came to save you out of that. And what did he do? At the expense of his own freedoms. He gave up. There will be times where you need to give up your freedoms and you will be imitating Jesus so that you can come alongside those who are broken, hurting, and needy to help them see Jesus and know him. That is the purpose of your freedoms, right? It's not so you can now, I do not want you leaving this service saying, hey, Jacob said I can go smoke weed. Actually, the, problem, the best way to approach this is to say, you know what, Jacob invited me to join and enjoy God's creation in a way that joins his mission so I could be happy, not in my own preferences and how I want my life to be, but in God himself and how he's made, my, made this world for me to enjoy. Right? Do, you, do you get the, the invitation here? God has made this world, you, you realize God could have made this world black and white. Why did he make it with colors? <laughs> because he's crazy in love with making things ridiculously beautiful and enjoyable, right? That's why if you ever had a meal with me, sometimes I will say, God, thank you for the textures and flavors of this food because he has designed this world and designed you to be a pleasure machine, right? Just getting pleasure all the time from the way God's created the world. And the invitation of this passage is don't get that invitation and then cash it in for your own designs. Get that invitation and get more of God and how he has made this world so that you get more of his pleasures on his terms, which are better than all the ways that you could have made this world. Right? That is the heartbeat of this passage. We are freely invited, freely designed to freely enjoy God's creation. To what? Advance his mission to make his name look great and to invite others to know him. So let's pray. Jesus, you have been good to us. I pray that as we have talked through this category and maybe delved into topics that maybe we don't normally talk about, that you would be exalted, seen, enjoyed, and that we would delight in you. Jesus, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit now that we would delight in you and join your mission to make a world aware that you're a happy God who invites us to be happy in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.